Well, we're in a series on spiritual community, and if you've been with us over the past three weeks, um, we've tried to kind of give a basis for where we're going with this thing. In the first week, we talked about what it is, what is spiritual community. And last week, I spent quite a bit of time talking about this idea of personal transformation, that, uh, that you and I are called to become more like Christ in, in every area of our life. During the next weeks, we are going to be now focusing more specifically on some spiritual practices that help us not only become more like Christ, but help our community um, become truly an authentic spiritual community. Because as I said last week, it begins with us. Uh, It begins with each of us taking seriously this call to be changed into the likeness of God. And uh, the belief is that as we are changed, as we become more like Christ, that this community that we're a part of uh, becomes more like Him as well. So we're talking about how to cultivate that, how to build it, how to encourage it uh, in one another, how we become more like Christ. It's my conviction, and I mentioned this last week, that every one of us that are here, for the most part, desire to grow spiritually. We all want to become more like Jesus Christ, but we simply don't know how to get there. Even as I was talking to the teachers this morning, And I was kind of saying, well, this is what I'm going to be sharing with the congregation this morning. It always comes back to, okay, I appreciate the information. It's wonderful. But now, what do we do? What do we do? And uh, we're going to be looking at that even more next week. It's my prayer that this message this morning will begin to steer us, all of us, in the right direction. That we might begin to, uh, to truly learn what it means to be transformed. So, with that in mind, let's pray and then we'll continue. Lord, we sit here this morning because we truly, sincerely want to know you and want to become more like you. Uh, Frankly, God, some of us don't have a clue how to get there. Some of us, God, may be disinterested as well. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. Encourage us and guide us. Give me words this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, any of you, any of us who sincerely desire to grow spiritually, any of us who are in this whole process of pursuing spiritual growth and authentic spiritual life, quickly discover that we have a problem. If your heart is beating, if you have a pulse, and I'm assuming most of you do this morning, you discover in this process of growth that you have a problem. Actually, we find out that we are ill, all of us, that we're suffering from what has come to be known as hurry sickness. Hurry sickness, a need to move faster and to do more. And some of you are thinking, amen, preacher. Do more, do it better, do it faster. That's the soup that we're swimming in. We're sick with hurry, with busyness, with craziness. Some of our lives, quite simply, are just absolutely chaotic. Listen to the words of this writer. He offers this definition of hurry sickness. See if you find yourself in this definition. Above all, it is a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things, or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined, from other persons. So we not only want to do more, do it faster, but according to this definition, we sometimes run into opposition from people when we live like this. Do any of you ever run into opposition from those who know you best because your life is out of control and crazy? Tragically, most of us don't even realize that we're sick. We don't. We live in a culture that values 
busyness, speed, productivity, effectiveness. You can think of all the adjectives. And to talk about anything other than that is almost cultural heresy. I'm sure executives don't sit around the business table and talk about how do we slow things down and become personally less productive and eventually more effective. I've never heard that conversation, at least when I was in banking. Sell more products. Spend more time with the customer. You know, you live out there. You do this stuff. You know what it's like. We believe that hurry will ultimately buy us more time, don't we? That's why we do it. We're convinced that the faster we move, the more we will be able to accomplish. But if you're like me, you've probably discovered that it simply is not true. But it should be true. But it's not true. But it should be true. It's not true. It's not true. Moving faster doesn't guarantee that you will accomplish more. In fact, it usually means, are you ready for this? That you will accomplish less. And I'll unpack this a bit. But just because we pack our lives full of stuff and move at a faster pace doesn't mean that we necessarily become more productive, more effective. Every area of our life has been infected by this hurry sickness. Every single area. Even our purchasing decisions. The reason that we buy products, we buy them because they promise to do what? To save us time. Maybe you've never thought about this before. What's the best-selling shampoo in America? Pert. Why? Because it combines shampoo and conditioner. And it cuts down on all that obnoxious rinsing that needs to go on. You can do it all at once. No matter that the pH of this stuff is like dishwashing detergent. Pert. It eliminates all the time-consuming rinsing. It saves you at least 10 seconds in the shower every morning. Domino's pizza became the number one chain. Why? Because they promised to deliver in 30 minutes or less. And this is what the CEO said. We don't sell pizza. We sell delivery. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out they don't sell pizza. right? <laughs> and listen to this. And I think that they probably took their cue from Domino's. A hospital in Detroit now guarantees that ER patients will be seen in 20 minutes or less, or their treatment is free. Yeah, you like that, don't you? Been in the ER lately and you sit there for like three hours. Yeah, 20 minutes or less, or it doesn't cost $300 to, you know, have your blood drawn. Too many of us, I'm afraid, worship at the Golden Arches. It's amazing, honestly. I don't eat there, by the way. I I choose not to. Enough said. (laughs) But it is incredible, the traffic in and out of that place. Every single time I, I come here, you know, it's just, they're lined up. People are just absolutely lined up. Why do we do it? Not because the food is good, right? Oh, I don't offend anybody. McDonald's food is not that great. But because it's what? Fast. You know, I go to Burgerville for a really good burger, and you sit in the stinking line for 20 minutes because they make it, right? It's not fast, but it's good. McDonald's, it's fast. Well, the sad truth is, all of our efforts, all of the hustle and bustle, all of our hurry and busyness has not resulted in what I believe each of us truly desires. I don't believe it's, it's gotten us there at all, and this is what we desire. We all desire more time, or perhaps enough time, maybe not more time, enough time to really live and to sincerely relate to other people. I think that's what we want 
Some of us that work like maniacs are doing it because the hope is that someday we'll have time to spend with people. Social critic Robert Banks observes that while American society is rich in goods, it is extremely time poor. Think about that for a minute. Many other cultures, societies, some of you have traveled. I've been to Russia. Some of you have been to Mexico. And you know that many of these places are materially poor, but they are absolutely rich in time and relationships. It is not uncommon in Russia to spend five or six hours around the dinner table. Why? Not because the food is that great. Because of the relationships. Those things matter to people. And I think somewhere in us, they matter to us too. And we truly want the time to develop those. Well, hurry sickness is not new, by the way. Jesus was familiar with it. And he warned us, and he warned his followers of the day, that hurry would be the thing that would keep them and us consumed by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. The real problem is that this kind of hurry sickness would prevent his character, his way, from taking root in our lives. And we get that busy. This is why he regularly withdrew from the crowds and the activities to get away for solitude and prayer. Jesus did that consistently. He taught his disciples to do the same thing. When they returned from a busy and challenging time of ministry, the first thing that he did in almost every case was encourage them to get away to a deserted place to rest and to pray. What do we do when we're gone on a business trip or we've worked 80 hours in a week and we come home? It isn't that we're encouraged to get away to a a lonely place and pray. That would be the end of my marriage, quite frankly. We're encouraged to do all the things that were left undone when we were busy doing all this other stuff. Truth is, following Jesus Christ cannot be done in a hurry. It can't be done at a sprinter's pace. It is a marathon race. It is a process that we're all in. We, too, need to get away. We, too, need to begin to slow things down. And I realize by saying that, that I'm saying something that's very countercultural. Slow down. You don't get it, pastor. I've got all these things to do. For me, I just work on Sundays, so I can say this. <laughs> slow down. There is no such thing as microwave maturity in the Christian faith. And yet that's exactly what I think many of us want. Spiritual growth takes time. Spiritual transformation Becoming like Christ is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. In the words of one Christian writer, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Ruthlessly, that's a, that's a strong word, eliminate hurry from our lives. What that says to me is we must do anything that it takes to slow down and stop the craziness. It doesn't mean that we won't be busy. There will always be things to do. Jesus was busy, but he was never so busy that it disrupted his relationship with God or with other people. He was never so busy that he didn't have time to reach out to somebody, to heal, to care for, to confront. He was never that busy. He practiced slowing, withdrawing, being alone to pray. And he was often interrupted, if you remember. Jesus would go away to pray, 
And he'd sort of look up, and there's his goofy disciples standing around him. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. we got more to do. But he did it. He practiced slowing. Hurry sickness. And I wrote this in your worship program because I want you to put it on your refrigerator or something. It's not simply disordered living. It's a disordered heart. So that's where it begins. And one of the teachers this morning said, if we're going to slow down, doesn't our heart have to be in a certain place to do that? I mean, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to start getting up at 5 o'clock every morning and, and being quiet. Or I'm going to come home, you know. And she's absolutely right. Our hearts need to be in the right place to do that. And this whole business of hurry and craziness is really a heart issue. So I want us to do a diagnostic exercise. I did this last week, and I want it to help you find out. I want you to sincerely put yourself in these questions and ask them. Four important questions. Some of these, I mean, you'll probably giggle when you hear them, when you read them. And here's the first question. You ready for this? Am I haunted by the fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done? Anyone? Anyone? Am I haunted when I wake up in the morning is the first thing I think about, this day is already too short. What a horrible way to start the day. But many of us jump out of bed or roll out of bed or get pulled out of bed, and that's what we're thinking about. There are not enough hours today. Or do you ever look at your calendar for the week and you go, there's not enough time in this entire week or month or quarter? It's not good. Do you find yourself easily irritated whenever you have to wait? No, not me. For example, are you ever impatient when you have to wait in the line at the grocery store? You guys are good. How about the on-ramp out here on Highway 26 when you need to be somewhere? And then you see, never mind, somebody pull up in the other lane with a half a person in the car. <laughs> what about at a stoplight? A four-way stop. We live out in the Bethany area. There's this really annoying four-way stop on Laidlaw and Bethany Boulevard. Inevitably, what happens is, right, you pull up and you're going to be a good citizen, right? And then everybody sits there. Or if you're in a hurry and you want to move on, people pull in front of you. And it's so irritating. And then you drive away and you go, why is that so irritating? What, what's wrong with me? Maybe you have hurry sickness. What about at the gas station? Or even at a restaurant? You ever get irritated when you don't get waited on fast enough? We're not good at waiting. We have hurry sickness when we find ourselves constantly speeding up all of our daily activities, trying to get more done in a shorter period of time. If we read it all, we read faster, right? Or we listen to books on tape, because that's more efficient. We walk faster. We talk faster. We nod and we listen faster. You find yourself talking to people and you're going, okay, come on, come on, come on. Get, you know, of course, I don't do that because I'm a pastor. You know, like, get, tell me, you know, get this going so we can move on to the next thing. If you're a parent, you probably find yourself doing that all the time with your kids. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, good. Next, you know, it's what we do. I'm getting all worked up just talking about this. Well, here's the next question. Do I find myself thinking or doing more than one thing at a time? Duh. I live in 21st century, you know, North America. There is a psychological term for this, by the way. It's called, you ready? Polyphasic activity. But the more hopeful term is multitasking. You really have polyphasic activity going on in your life. Automobiles 
are a favorite place for this kind of activity. Some of you are blushing, right? Hurry sick people do these things among other things. They shave in their automobile. They put on makeup. They talk on the phone. I saw a guy with two phones, right? And I could only guess that he was steering the car with his knees as he was on the on-ramp on Highway 26. They listen to music, read. I hope none of you do this, by the way. Saw a guy reading. It looked like a novel. You're pointing to her. Okay. They make gestures from time to time, right? And they eat and they drink in their cars, and oftentimes they do them all at the same time. Home is another place where we practice polyphasic activities, right? We watch TV, we eat, we read, and we carry on meaningful conversations with our family. Here's what I like to do. I'll tell you how strange I am. I love to turn on a game, turn the sound down, turn on classical music, turn the sound up, and read a book. Why, does that sound weird to you? Yeah, now here's the question. Why can't I just do one of those things? What's wrong with that? What would be wrong with simply listening to music? Well, why would I just listen to music when I could be doing so many other things? I mean, after all, music is not meant to be listened to, right? It's meant to be background music for me to do all these other things. God forbid that I would actually read a book and not have any music on. Or the basketball game. You know, just in case... The score was something that I wanted to see and I could look up. And so this is what I do. And I'm really, honestly, not getting much better at sort of not doing that stuff. But it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Here's the third question. Does my life lack simplicity? In other words, is my life cluttered? And I don't mean necessarily physically cluttered, although sometimes that is a picture of a hurried lifestyle as well. But I'm talking about this. Is it cluttered with unread books, unkept appointments? Is it cluttered with a general lack of follow-through? Is it cluttered emotionally? Hurry sick people never have the time or the patience to really deal with anything or to complete anything. They don't have the ability to follow through. And when we suffer from this hurry sickness, our lives are emotionally cluttered. There are far too many of us who are weighed down and burdened with all the things that we haven't done, all the appointments that we haven't kept, all the people we haven't talked to, all the reasons that we failed to say no, and we kind of walk around with this bag over our shoulder, and we don't want to live like this, and we feel bad, but it's how we live. Here's the final question, probably the most important one. Am I able to love others, even those closest to me? The most serious, life-threatening symptom of hurry sickness is the inability to love other people. And this is where it ties in to this whole sense of building community. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love takes time. Relationships take time, don't they? And time is precisely the one thing that you and I don't have. For example, when you come home from work or from a business trip, whatever it may be, Why is it that those who so desperately need our love and our attention end up getting nothing from us? We're too drained, we're too tired, we're too exhausted, we're too preoccupied to love or to express love, to give ourselves to those who are closest to us. Maybe it isn't that we don't love, maybe more accurately it means we don't have 
what it takes to express that to people. I'm convinced that this hurry sickness issue is at the core of most of our frustration and our anger and even our anxiety, right? Some of you are paralyzed with anxiety. You can't keep all the balls in the air. Eventually, something's got to give. And typically, it's relationships. We may not lose our faith, but we may lose relationships. It's one of the reasons that we're so often alienated from each other in the church, in our families, in friendships, because we are so busy. We're so hurried. It's precisely because it kills love that hurry is the arch enemy of spiritual life. It is the hindrance to building authentic spiritual community. It prevents us from receiving love from God, first of all, and then extending that love to other people. We can't do it. This is exactly why Jesus never hurried. And if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be transformed by him, we have got to slow down. We've got to get to know him. We need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Do whatever it takes. If we ever hope to become an authentic spiritual community, we have got to learn and we have to begin to practice slowing down, prioritizing. Now here's the good news. We can do this. You can do this. We really can do this. With God's help, we can become, should I use the word, disciplined, unhurried people. Balanced, even. We can cease to live this neurotic lifestyle with God's help. How? Always comes back to that, right? How? By entering into training. How's that sound? By practicing spiritual disciplines, such as slowing down. Prayer, worship, service. Service, well, that's just more busyness, right? I'll talk about that later. We don't do this overnight. You don't wake up tomorrow morning, snap your fingers, and there you are. It takes time. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to begin to enter into this, okay? Ask God to change your heart. Next week, my good friend and our resident Bible scholar, Kent Wilcox, is going to begin to train us to do battle with hurry. Right, Kent? All right. It's going to help us see that only as we begin to practice slowing, only as we withdraw for times of meditation and prayer and solitude, only when we withdraw from the distractions and the preoccupations of our life, only then will we truly experience Jesus Christ and begin to be transformed by him. It doesn't happen on the run. It doesn't happen on the run. Please be here next week. Be encouraged. Okay, I know this was sort of a... My job here is to be the bad cop. Ken will be the good cop next week. But I wanted to paint this picture, right? Because I think we all live in it. But the encouraging thing is that Christ is in this with you and that change is possible. That is the good news. And that's what I want to hear. That's what I want you to hear as we close. Amen.